All right, Josh, what do you call the captain of a sailing ship on Cardassia? I don't know. A seagull. pretty good that's pretty good yeah it really isn't but thank you very much to uh star trek online for providing this week's joke oh my god <laughs> so i anyway. saw one that I, I saw one that was a meme that had like ducat's head on a gull a seagull and it was like gull ducat yeah <laughs> yeah that's probably where they got the idea from all right so ladies and gentlemen this is the final frontier the Trexphere podcast, all about fan films and fan fiction and all the fun fan stuff you've come to know and love. I am mm. Bill Allen, a.k.a. the guy in the red shirt, and joining me in the studio today is Josh Irwin. That's right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Do you prefer Josh or Joshua? It doesn't matter either way. All righty. Josh Irwin. Uh, unfortunately, Adam Mullen could not be with us today. He's off taking charade lessons because he sucks at charades. Mm. Yeah, we had issues. I turned my camera on and I was signaling him, I can hear you, but you can't hear me speak even though I'm speaking. And he says, you have something stuck in your throat? Should I call 911? It's like, oh my God, it was awful. <laughs> so. He's got to recouple the ODN relays. Uh, yeah. So uh, while he addresses his technical issues this week, and I am just thrilled to death that it's somebody other than me having technical issues, let me tell you, we're going to go ahead and uh, get this party started. Um, so I just finished watching Ghost Ship. All right. And I got to say, you are an awful, awful person. <laughs> you have come... Vance Major is still one of my favorite fan filmmakers of all time, and my God, you almost dethroned the king, okay? <laughs> this, this, this film was that good. I loved it. Um, yeah. So um, let, let's, uh, let, let's knock out some of the, uh, the basic questions here. Uh, what was it that got you into Star Trek in the first place? Wow, that's going back really far. Um, you know, when I was a I was a kid, I watched the animated series when I was like five, I want to say, and that's what that's what got me started as far as watching Star Trek. And then um, I I remember I saw Next Generation premiere when I was six. You know, like I watched it first run. And uh, was hooked from the first time it ever aired, and you know I've just kind of stuck with it ever since. Excellent, excellent. Um, you got a uh, so uh, you more of a, a TOS or a TNG fan? What's your favorite series? I'm a Niner. You're a Niner. I, lo I, I love me some Deep Space Nine. I think it's uh, the most dynamic, best characters, best writing. Um, you know, I watched that as a, as a teenager and I just feel like that it has the most depth, you know, and, uh, love the characters, love the grit, you know, it's, it's by far my favorite. Please tell me Odo is not your favorite character. Uh, no, I Good. would say that my, my favorite Deep Space Nine character is Garrick. Okay. 
people who love Odo the most, they tend to... I'm like, oh, you're one of those fans. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Don't he's, get me wrong, he's he was an, a good character, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, over... You know, it's really more of an ensemble thing with Deep Space Nine. You've just got... You've got so many great characters. I mean, you can look at... Say even even one of the smallest characters on the show take somebody like uh, Demar, yes. you know, and and Demar will have more character growth and more of a story and layers to him than like Chakotay, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just they 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 really layered the characters and it has the most interesting villains, you know, it, it Ducat. Really... I mean, what a what an amazingly deep bad guy, you know. So much more subtlety and nuance and complexity than even the Borg Queen or someone like that. You know, it's just they, they really developed their characters so well. and their stories were so deep. So that's, you know, I just I just have a, a great appreciation for that show. Yeah, it was it was Damar who made me wish I really wish they had, had done eight seasons of DS9. Not because yeah. I want to see what happened next, but because I felt like those last five or six episodes, the big finish it felt really like rushed like they were trying to hurry up and get to the end and they kind of yeah. uh, it it, it uh, they, they were doing so well and then it's like oh we got to end it okay and we got to make sure the federation wins okay and we got to make sure Cardassia's free okay it's like demar's progression seemed a bit rushed yeah that's I would the only regret that i have too is that it just sort of okay and now it's over <laughs> yeah they if they'd had been able to spread that out over an extra season it would have been really good yeah. So, uh, uh, what what got it? What got you into fan films? So I always wanted to make one. Um, even when I was, you know, a teenager, I wanted to, you know, I'd, I'd watch Star Trek movies or I would watch, you know, the show and be like, how'd they do that, you know, transporter effect or how they do the phasers or whatever, you know? And I'd, I'd, I'd just sit there and wonder how they did all this stuff. And, you know, I wanted my family's always been storytellers, you know, storytelling is our thing. My dad is a broadcast journalist. My grandfather owned a newspaper. It's just kind of who we are. And so that's why, you know, Deep Space Nine in particular appealed to me was because of the storytelling aspect. And, you know, as a teenager, I really wanted to make my own Star Trek episodes. You know, it's kind of the parallel of maybe the James Colley story or the Vic Mignogna story where you just wanted to make your own Star Trek. And. You know, when I was a kid, it was VHS, you know what I mean? So, like, getting your own camera or whatever, that you, you were just so limited in what you could do. And, yeah, yeah, I did some silly stuff when I was a teenager, but I was always worried that, you know, if you were going to make a fan film, you know, you want to be able to do it well. And so for so long, I doubted that I'd have the, the means or the resources or the technology to do it well, that it would come off looking silly and uh, so that sort of led to a career more as just a regular indie filmmaker. And so I've done a lot of that. Um, when, when, we, when we first went to go film Ghost Ship down in Kingsland, Georgia, Ray Tessie looked at my demo reel and he's like, you've done a lot of film, but it doesn't look like you've done any Star Trek. And I thought, isn't that weird? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, just kind of stopping for a second and thinking, you know, how the journey started and, you know, doing so much indie film work. And, and now I'm finally doing, you know, what what uh, I wanted. And, it, and it's ironic that you brought up Vance Major earlier because he was the inspiration. You know, I had that 
that desire to do it for so long but never thought I could do it well. And then I saw him, and he's like, it's like nothing stops this dude. He's just like, I'm going to make my fan films, and I don't care. You know, he would do whatever. You know, he'd shoot it in his backyard with his cell phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so and I was like, man, this dude's got the idea. He's just he's just doing it. And I thought, if he can do it, I'm going to go do it. And and I actually, he and I started talking and became buds. And uh, and he's going to be in um, our next film. But, uh, you know, I started talking to him and, and, and realized that there were sets, Star Trek sets, you know, a hundred miles or, or an hour, you know, from where I am. <laughs> in Fayetteville, Arkansas, that there was a set of Star Trek sets in, in Harrison. And I was like, really? You know, I, I, I bet I could come up with something to film there. But, you know, so, back at that point in time, that those sets were under dispute. And yeah. so we couldn't film there. So he's like, you should go down to Georgia and shoot with Ray Tessie because he's got the Star Trek Continues sets available. And I was like, dang, Continues is my favorite fan series. So it was like the chance to go shoot on those sets. I mean, can't pass that up. So uh, you you kind of said a hundred miles takes you an hour's drive. How many speeding tickets do you have? <laughs> yeah, it's it's more like um, I don't know the exact mile count, but it's something like it's an hour and a half. It's just under two hours from where I am it takes me to to get out there to and and we've since been able to that situation has been resolved and um, there are new sets out there. <clears throat> in Harrison that are that are not the old sets. There's a new bridge. There's a Glenn Wolf. I don't know if you know him. Glenn of... Wolf has built. Yeah, he's built a new set of Star Trek sets here in Arkansas. So we have a bridge. We have a shuttlecraft. Um, he's he's putting some other stuff together, and he's worked really closely um, with us. His his series is called the Federation Files, and you know they've been really really cool about you know, kind of participating with us in, in being able to do more of our film filming here in Arkansas instead of having Georgia. We're, we're still going to do that, but that's a, that's an 18 hour drive. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the, uh, every, you gotta, you gotta watch those miles. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a little too long. Oh, Oh, are you back? <laughs> How long Hi. have you been back? Uh, let's see here. Uh, looks like two minutes and 19 seconds. All right. <laughs> I've just been listening. I didn't want to interrupt you. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the world's worst charade player, Adam Mullen, <laughs> is joining us. Uh, all that makes for really good, you know, like bloopers and, yeah. and whatnot. That so I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really sorry. I apologize. I had no idea that the audio problem was on my side. Uh, new computer. Uh, I should have really tested it before this. I just assumed that everything was going to work, but you know what they say when you assume. Yeah, I'm used to having computer issues running a seven-year-old rig, so I, I, I naturally <laughs> assumed it was my end, because we've had it before where I've had to do some monkeying. Um, all right, well, so, ask, him que ask him question three so you can jump right in and be a part of this. I kind of <laughs> skipped over question number three. Uh, so have you, have you been watching Discovery? Yes, of course. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was one of Discovery's biggest detractors in the beginning um, because, you know, I was a big fan of fan films because, you know, fan films carried the franchise for a decade. 
I mean, there was there was more than a decade that Star Trek was off air, and the only thing we had were the fan films. And so when, you know, it kind of seemed like at first that the fan films were going away, it was hard to imagine how was how would this continue with the, the guidelines that came out. And then I was really, really alarmed by there was like a trailer that was put out. And at some point in like 2016 or sometime in late 2016, it was just this if you remember, it was this weird CG trailer that was just yeah. a shot of Discovery and it looked terrible, and I was like, this is what a network is giving us? And mm-hmm. I, it was just a huge red flag, and then the more we started to hear about this show, the more of these red flags were just building up, and I was going, oh, this is frightening me. And and I, I, I watched the pilot, and I'm, like, I'm sitting here going, okay, if I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to watch this and give it the chance to, to you know, make me want to pay for it, and the pilot just didn't do it. You know, I just I didn't like it, you know, and so I kind of gave up on it. And then I actually had the chance to meet Sonequa Martin Green about a year ago at a con. And she was very pleasant and very kind. And uh, just like meeting her as a person and talking to her, I was really impressed with her just as a human being and had a great conversation with her. And uh, so I went back and, and, and watched it. Uh, you know, started watching the end of season one and it got a little better. And then what really surprised me was two things. You know, over the break, we started to hear that they were going to essentially change the creative direction of the show. And, and then my own experience with fan films had started to show me that CBS really wasn't trying to just shut it down, that they were actually being way more cool with the fan films than we initially thought, mm-hmm. that they were kind of backing off, that they weren't going to – that even though they had these guidelines, they were going to give us some flexibility to do some things, that they didn't want to police us or get angry, that they just wanted the fan fiction to stay fan-based. Yeah, so, there, there were a handful of films that started hitting six and seven figures in their fundraising, and that was like, yeah. wait, wait, you're making too much money off of this. And that was the part they were trying to stop. And uh, it's, it's just that, you know, if you're, if you're raising that kind of money and you've got, you know, half the cast of Voyager in your fan film or you've got Doug Drexler and all these guys behind the scenes, you're not making a fan film anymore. You're making Star Trek. Right. And so I think that the feeling from CBS was is that they wanted to keep the fan productions authentically fan based. And if so, you know, if if that's what you're doing, if you're honestly making a fan film by fans for fans and you're keeping it under a certain dollar amount and, and they're going to they're going to they're not going to bother you. They're going to leave you alone. You know, they're going to let you do your thing if they don't see what you're doing as some sort of competition to them. So that's one element. But then the, the kind of the news that Discovery was changing its creative direction based on feedback from the fans, I felt like was very mature decision by them to go, OK, we're going to listen to our fans and go, they kind of don't like this, so we're going to change it. I thought that was really neat. I thought that that was a really cool move on their part. So I have started watching in season two, and I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised, especially with the latest episode. I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think they're lying when they say they did it because of fan feedback, but uh, that's just me. Because I I mean I I totally get what you're saying about that initial pilot. That was one thing that frustrated me. 
as far as a little two-hour standalone kind of Trek thing, it wasn't bad, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't want to see Star Trek jail time. And that's what it was looking <laughs> yeah. like. It's like, why do you have to wait till episode three to get the premise of the series set up, really? I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Not only not only that, but it was like, you know, you're watching this, uh, the battle of binary stars, and it's a battle between Starfleet and the Klingons, and you're going, what's with these sound effects? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is... This is really boring, you know. If if I want to see a battle between Starfleet and the Klingons, I'm gonna watch the Way of the Warrior, man. They that's a battle. Yeah. You know, whatever this thing was, it was just like, I don't know, it was weird. So but, I couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. Yeah. But uh, based on some of the stuff they said before season one, I got the feeling that they were aiming to do a uh, ten season run. And oh wow. Well, it's like well, it's ten years before it's ten years before TOS. Everything uh-huh. is going to look really different from the original series. But over the course of the show, we're going to see how things happen that make things the way they are in the original series. So I get the mm. feeling the the quote unquote changes they're making aren't necessarily from fan feedback, but were part of the plan all along. Each season is going Perhaps. to change a few elements until eventually you get to where they were in the original series. And it's one thing mm-hmm. that worries me because. I think they're aiming for a 10-year show, and if it only runs for five seasons or whatever, uh, the last few They'll episodes... They'll just rush it. Yes, it's, it's going to come off like the end of Deep Space Nine, where they should have stretched it out for yeah. another... Yes, and they're going to they're gonna do the, oh, let's drop Darth Vader in a volcano so we can get to the suit right there at the end of the movie. And it, it's going to be... <laughs> that, that's the one thing that worries me, is they're going to rush the ending if it doesn't go for a full 10 seasons like they want. Mm-hmm. You know, I it didn't really bother me so much to update the the look of the show or whatever, you know, in some ways because yeah, it's 2019, you can't you can't make a show that looks like 1966. Now, my argument would be if you want to make a show with modern technology and make it way cool, just make that show take place further in the future. Mm-hmm. Don't don't try to go back to a and retcon an era that's established. Yeah. That's where they're at odds with themselves. Yeah. But no, you can't film a show in 2019 and make it look like a show from 1966. I, I, so I can give them some leeway there, but it's just the Starfleet officers not acting like Starfleet officers and Klingons not acting like Klingons that bugged me, Yeah, especially in season one. Well, I did. I liked the changes to the Klingons because it's like it made me – I mean at first I was like, yeah, these are way different Klingons. And I was like, oh my god, I'm a racist. All Klingons, all Klingons act alike. Really, there's only one Klingon religion. All other religions get ignored. Really, my yeah. my my stereotypes about Klingons and homogenizing them all into one lump. Well, that's how Klingons are. Oh my God, I'm right. a racist. So this is just showing us uh, an aspect of their culture that used to be dominant but got replaced by the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Later versions. And that's a valid, and that's a valid argument about the way Star Trek does. Uh, aliens is they do tend to portray them as monolithic sometimes. I mean, and and that was something that I kind of noticed is sometimes the human characters can be sort of racist against the the aliens. You know, they go, "Oh, Tuvok, has anyone ever told you you're a real freakosaurus?" And yeah, 
you know, didn't anybody warn you about Ferengi at the Academy? And yeah, so, yeah, oh that's, my God. Kind of, that's kind of, you know, <laughs> something to think about a little bit is that that, that that can, you know, humans aren't racist towards each other, but they do seem to be racist towards the aliens sometimes. Yeah, then there's mm-hmm. my personal you know? favorite they use through the various series. Oh, our society used to be like yours, but then we evolved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's a that's a Deep Space Nine thing where where Quark lets Cisco have it a couple mm-hmm. of times over that. You know what I mean? He's yeah. like, you guys may look down on us, but you got a dark past. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. We just we just love so, asking people what they think of the new stuff just to get their feelings <laughs> on it. So but, I, I because I came in late, I don't I don't know where exactly you are in the questions well we are up to the nitty-gritty the meat of the matter we are on number question number five time to talk about time to talk about ghost ship all right go go for it so ghost ship yeah you know um as i kind of talked about earlier the discussions that started with vance major you know just about you know what do you know about these sets here in Arkansas, and can they be filmed on? He kept, you know, kind of saying, you know, that it's real bad shape over there. And I guess the the what they call the the infamous dog patch sets. Um, mm. You know, they they were in a building for a long time that had no power, that had no running water. Yeah. And and so you know he was like, well, if someone's going to shoot over there, you know, it'd have to be an episode where. You know, the ship has no power or something. And I was like, you can come up with something like that. And and I came up with an idea like maybe that would be cool if the ship had no power and it was real spooky and maybe you're fighting zombies. You know, I just sort of came to me <laughs> and and I and I talked to him about that. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, it's just there was some ownership dispute going on that I don't really know the intricacies of. And so he's like, I would just really caution you not to film there at first and so he referred me to ray i got on the phone with ray tessie and ray's the nicest guy ever and what he's doing for fan films is is enormous and and i think that as fans we really need to support him but um it it opened up the world because um his sets are so much more extensive i mean if you've ever been down there to his facility that used you know that used to be the star trek continue set so they've got that whole you know, sets of corridors, the transporter room, auxiliary control, sick bay, uh, the bridge, the Jeffrey's tube. I mean, anything you can think of is down there. I mean, it's the Enterprise, the whole Enterprise is there. So it's like, wow, I, now I've got all engineering. I've got all these sets to work with, and it made writing the story open up, you know, because you got the whole ship to play with. And... Uh, just kind of let it unfold in my head. And, uh, you know, one of my best friends, Tyler Donovan, um, he's been a Trek fan for forever. We met when we were 11 years old at a Star Trek fan club. And, you know, we've both since gotten into indie film and done other things. And he really wanted to do it. And so we just sort of went and did it. <laughs> I mean, we had the money and and we just went and did it. And it was a, it was a fun experience. Um we shot it in September of last year, and a, another friend of mine, Earl Hale, who uh, is real big into horror and zombie movies and, and Frankenstein and all of that, he read the script and he was like, dude, you should totally release this on Halloween. And, I was, <laughs> I'm sitting, and this was like, I think like July when he says this to me, you know, we just have a script and I was like, 
okay, would you help me with the edit? And he's like, yeah. And so, like, we went and filmed in, like, it was like the first week in September, and, and you know, <laughs> October 31st, it hit the Internet. So uh, we, we, we stood by our, our goal, and, and I think we surprised some people. Because uh, no one saw it coming, you know that was the thing that Jonathan Lane said to me when I talked to him was like, "Where'd you guys come from?" Like, you know, usually everyone announces their presence to the world long before they make their movie. They're like, "Hey, we're gonna make this fan film," and then like five years later, "Hey, here's our fan film," or, <laughs> "Hey, where's your fan film?" Yeah. Um, but but we just here is it, here it is it's done you know gift to the world and they're kind of like we don't know who you are, um, <laughs> and. And uh, it was it was weird, you know. It was getting some views, and, and I thought, okay, this is cool. And then it just goes crazy, and and one day it hits ten thousand, and the next it was twenty, and then thirty, and suddenly it's one hundred seventy-five thousand views. So, and I'm talking to people from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, it, well, I I, I love this film. I really did. I mean, the whole zombie story thing. You found a way to make it work in a Star Trek setting. So, I mean. <laughs> You did a classic in the form of a completely different classic, and it worked. Mm -hmm. It was just really well done. Um, I appreciate that, yeah. We'll, we'll go over finer points, but one thing I've got to ask right now, um, the phasers you used, were those, mm -hmm. um, were those like working phasers? Were they shooting actual lasers? No, they were, uh, well, no, they were, um, <laughs> they were those like, they're the remote controls. You know, where it's like it's a phaser and a remote control at the same time. Oh, like, okay. Your TV with it. Okay. But those are like really good replicas. Like yeah. they're really good replicas. They're better than the toys, or and they're like metal and they feel good in your hands and they just look solid. You know, we had some toy phasers that we broke. You know, in some of the stunts, but the for the for the hero, you know, on screen and then. Uh, that was just a visual effect that we did in Adobe After Effects that took, you know, it took like an hour and a half per phaser beam um, just to do the beam. Well, but um, I, I think that it turned out pretty well. Massive props to your FX guys for that because, mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen some videos on YouTube where hobbyists are making these homemade like five milliwatt lasers that, mm -hmm. that shoot an actual blue beam out and, and they use them to pop balloons to show it's a real laser putting out real energy and they'll pop balloons with it and stuff. Nice. And I mean it's really neat to watch and I'm watching this fan film and I mean the way the beam lined up it's like are, are, are they, is that just after effects or were they using like a functional phaser and then just kind of adding some sound and touching it up because it, it looked the way a beam would look from somebody. It, it's not the old, like, cartoon drawn-on cellophane look like you used to get. It really <laughs> it really looked like... I thought maybe you had gotten a couple of those 5-milliwatt hand lasers and were making people wear safety yeah. goggles and, and using the real deal and then just tweaking it in After Effects. It, it was a really, really well-done phaser effect. You, you, you deserve credit for that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, there were there were some things we did, um, you know, not giving any of it away. But um, remember, I was always like, how do they do that? You know, and so like um, there were things we did both in After Effects to achieve that, but also um, practically on the day with the prop, the prop lit up, things like that. 
and there were other other elements we put into it that made it look more realistic. So there were there was a practical element that we used, and then uh, something that we did in After Effects that kind of enhanced that. So th- there was some there was some thought put into it. So yeah, I, I appreciate that you guys really liked it. Um, that was uh, work done by both myself and uh, Earl, who I talked about earlier. He's a big After Effects. Um, guy he and i kind of worked together on that i did the beams and then he killed the zombies yeah. <laughs> he, he'd he'd did, he'd make the zombies you know vaporize and 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 he you know, i was like hey let's come up with a little bit different of a way to do this and he starts pulling out skeletons and he's like what if we did something with the skeleton and i was like oh and i pulled up loud as a whisper in a tng and i was like hey what about something like this and you know, kind of a combination of this and this and this, and and, mm-hmm. and he was able to do some really cool stuff. He he did a neat effect in After Effects where there was blood flying around when when uh, Victoria Fox is hitting me with a with like a, a you know a pole or whatever, and like blood's flying all over the place. That was all in post. Wow. So, so I have a question. Yes. This, um, uh, what was your budget for Ghost Ship? I want to say it was something like about seven thousand dollars all told. Oh, okay, wow. And that, but that's not including you know things like um, you know we already had all of the gear, you know, already had mm-hmm. all of the sound gear and the and the camera and the, and the lenses and so all that definitely that stuff. saved you a lot of money already having that equipment. Yeah, and 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 a lot of it was. You know, driving down Georgia, mm-hmm. um, staying staying in hotels. You know that adds up pretty quick. Buying people food, um, you know, because I always I fed the crew. You can't pay people, but you got to feed them. You got to yeah. you got to get some some food in there. And and I took them out to eat, and you know it was real nice to them. And uh, costumes and props and like mm-hmm. you know phaser. Just one of those really nice phasers, like almost two hundred dollars, just to yeah. get one of those phasers. And communicators, the communicators were expensive, and and you know we our our films take place in an alternate universe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had sort of the Star Trek Beyond tunics, and then we had those really cool Discovery metal deltas, which I thought, you know, you take it's kind of a a TOS era. But it's a JJ movie tunic, and then you put a Discovery <laughs> badge on it, and suddenly it has a TNG feel to it. Isn't so that it's, weird? It's a uh, you, you did a really good job of using what you had and being creative, and you know, saying it's in this different universe. I think that's really clever. You know, it was just a thing where you know, everybody gets everybody gets so worked up over the C word, you know, <laughs> canon. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's not a religion. I guess it is. <laughs> but, but um, you know, I just wanted some flexibility to 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 do my own thing. And so, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's an alternate universe. Okay, now we can do whatever. And it's cool. You know, if we want to take a constitution, Sam Cockings did our um, visual effects with regard mm-hmm. to the, the spaceships and all that. If we want to take our constitution class and make it different, give it glowing warp nacelles and torpedo tubes on the outside, whatever else we want to do with it. We can do that. We have the we have the ability now that we're in an alternate universe to kind of play around and update the look. And um, mm-hmm. for our latest film that we just released this past week, Avalon Lost, we he built a brand new shuttlecraft, 
and so it's that we have a, a totally different design of a TOS era shuttlecraft that we use. So um, it, it just gives us a lot of creative freedom to do different things. And, and you know, as the films, we make more films that take place in this universe, you're going to see it diverge even more. We're going to have, you know, hologram displays. We're going to have different L cars. You know, the cool thing about uh, Glenn Wolf's bridge that we have over here in Arkansas is that since I'm close to that, I can go and I can modify it. Like we can, we can put in different, you know, L cars displays and the, the plexis and um, we can light it differently and we can have a different tone to it and just give, give everything sort of an updated look that's not like so radical that it's discovery. But it's also, you know, not like so TOS that's like, oh, that's kind of silly. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> those sets were not meant to be, you know, if you watch the remastered original series, you know, that wasn't ever meant to be shown in HD. And so it's yeah. like kind of funny to watch it in HD and be like, I can tell that's foam. And <laughs> I can yeah. tell William Shatner's wearing a wig. And <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? It's like. So if you're going to if and now we're shooting this stuff in 4K, you know wow. what I mean? So it's yeah. like, you know, if you're going to do that, it's like, oh, we, we've got to maybe update the, the, the style of the presentation a little bit, maybe light it a little bit differently. Because mm -hmm. there are ways, even with the older design of the sets from the 1960s, that you can still play with it to, to really make it look cool, you know, um, you know, if you'll if you you know take a look at Avalon Lost, um, we were using the, the TOS shuttle, but we shot it in some really interesting ways to to really have the the, the glowing buttons and and stuff really look you know cool and bokeh and and uh, so kind of just the presentation of how you light the set and how you film it and then maybe do some things to augment it, you can make it look way cool. You know, just just by slightly updating the look. I mean, yeah. you go back to TOS and they're they're filming with, you know, something like 100 speed film or something, and uh, and it's so they're using 500 and and uh, 5,000 and 10,000 watt lights, 2,000 watt lights. I mean, they if you look at the set photos, they've just got gigantic lights. They're they're blasting those guys with light. And these days, you know, we can go out there with a camera that's, you know, 2,500 ISO, and we can almost shoot in the dark. And so you, you can kind of play that to your advantage a little bit. Uh, Bill, do you have any further questions about Ghost Ship, or shall we transition to uh, Avalon Lost? There, there, There is one <clears throat> thing I have to kind of question, kind of complain. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I, one of the things I really loved was... Um, during the action sequence, you're tossing out a whole bunch of Arnold Schwarzenegger one-liners, <laughs> even including a variation yeah. on Get to the Choppa. But, yeah. come on, it's like, it was all Arnold. Where's your Stallone? Oh, where, where, yeah. Where, where, where's, your, where, where's your Bruce Willis? Come on, you did, like, every Arnold line, and that's it. I mean... <laughs> now, that, that is a legitimate complaint. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there should have there should have been some Bruce Willis and some Stallone in there definitely. We'll have to take note of that. Maybe we'll uh maybe we'll file that back for uh the next film. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I mean, but I mean honestly, you had uh, you know, great characters. Um, 
wonderful dialogue that didn't take itself so seriously at times. I, I love that. And but it's like, come on, man, you're gonna do everything from Arnold, but you're not gonna do Stallone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't even. We have to. We have to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I definitely, certainly enjoyed Ghost Ship. Um, thank you, thank you. And it's like, you know, nobody told me you made another movie. It's like, come on. It's like, now, so let's talk about <laughs> Avalon Lost. So Avalon Lost is uh, interesting in that we didn't expect to make that one at all. Um, hmm. That was that was brought out by necessity. You know, our plan was we were going to um, we we're going to crowdfund the next film that we had already written. And then our, you know, our Marty McFly you know, Michael J. Fox impersonator star kind of, he's got a deal where, you know, he's, there, there's a, there's a line in, in ghost ship where he says that they said that he did a subspace marriage. And that's in reference to the fact that the dude was actually married to a woman in another country. You know, he's, he's been doing this long distance marriage for years now. Wow. And in between, you know, the two films, she got her visa and she's coming over and she's going to live with him now. And so, um, as you can imagine, there's a lot involved with that where, yeah. you know, it's like, she's got to learn how to drive on, on the right side of the road. And, <laughs> and I mean, it's just, you know, how's she going to get places? And, he, and he's kind of freaking out about like, you know, I've got to get her, help her get a job and all this stuff. And he's like, I don't think that I'm going to be able to participate, you know, for a while. And, you know, he was kind of freaking out about it, and then one night he just kind of joked. He's like, "Maybe we should just film like my character's death." And and my producer and co-director now, Victoria Fox, we kind of looked at each other and like, "Yeah, let's just do that." And you know, he he said it as a joke, and we took it seriously. <laughs> so um, and so we just kind of wrote a film, and then we went and killed him. Wow. And that so, became Avalon Lost. Yeah, wow. you know, not spoil it if you haven't seen it. So this is this is like a distant, distant, distant sequel to the entire run of uh, films about the USS Excalibur, or no, it isn't. It's 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 a um, it's it's a sharp turn. So well, no, wait, wait, wait. Now, okay, I, I know you don't want us to spoil anything, and I haven't even seen it yet. But is he dead, dead, or is he sci-fi dead? <laughs> He might be sci-fi dead. It's hard to say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I mean, no actual decision has been made. So, you know, it's uh, you don't see a body, so anything could okay, happen. Okay, because I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, part of it was, you know, he, he was a great captain. You know, he was yeah. A, um, and not to disparage anybody else or anything, but it's like, man, it's going to be hard to follow that. I mean. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, uh, so one of the lessons that I learned on Ghost Ship was that I was doing too much myself. You know, uh, when we filmed in Georgia, I mean, it was we filmed Ghost Ship in two days and um, it was it was September in basically Florida. You know, Kingsland, Georgia is just like, I mean, right north of the, the, the border there. And it was it was 90, 90 some odd, 95 degrees in the studio the whole time. There, there's no air conditioning there. And so the actors were going and taking, you know, cooling breaks. I wasn't. I smelled really wonderful at the end of the whole thing. <laughs> and um, 
it was there were just some things that I looked at about the film and went, man, this is this could be so much better. And you know, Victoria, who played Commander Beck, she's she's a lot like Beck in real life. She's this person that just she has this ability to to foresee problems way down the road and go, this is going to be a problem if you don't deal with it. And she's a, a great actress. And and she knows how to talk to actors. And so we kind of got together and decided that she was going to direct Avalon Lost and that we were going to co-direct from here on out where she was going to work with the drama and the character and the acting side of it, the rehearsals and manage all of that. And what I was going to do was I was going to concentrate on the Star Trek in the building of the bigger universe mm-hmm. and the, the the filming of it and how I wanted it filmed and making sure it sounded good and all of those things. And so I feel like because she stepped up in that capacity that Avalon Lost really, really took a step forward from Ghost Ship. Now, you'll find when you see it that the tone is very different um, because they, 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 they come from this, this silly place and then it gets serious really fast. And and so that tone's going to carry over into the next film, but you know it's kind of a situation where these characters have kind of you know they've flown by the seat of their pants, you know what I mean? And now it's like now it's getting real, and they're like, okay, we've got to figure out how to d- deal with this. And so you know the the, the journey is going to be one to figure out how to get serious, deal with serious issues, and then circle back and move on and be be silly again um, now, you know what i mean yeah now now you were saying you had a lot to do i i know for many fan films with their limited pool of uh human resources to draw from right most of the time the the guy who wrote the film ends up starring in it and it's not necessarily because <laughs> of ego it's just because they don't have enough actors but, but <laughs> you you didn't play you didn't play the lead in this film no i was the um i was the commodore okay there at the at beginning and the, the end. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's yeah, like, that was me. See, it's like I, so, I hear a voice, but I'm not seeing a face. So I'm like, mm, well, you know, okay. <laughs> so and, I, then I I'm, and then I'm in Avalon Lost for like 10 seconds. Okay. <laughs> and it kind of makes sense because, in a way, you're the Commodore of the film. You're the guy that gives everybody their marching orders. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a question. <clears throat> yes. So having Victoria um, directed, did that make filming Avalon Lost any easier than Ghost yes. Ship? Yeah, it did. It made it a lot easier because um, she uh, she really took the time to um, she took the actors and, and did a lot of rehearsals and, and worked with them and then while that was going on, you know, that gave me time to really work on the set gags and the lighting gags mm. that I wanted to do. And uh, to get the audio set up the way I wanted it, get it, get it set up. And um, she brought her uh, Hollywood gaffer boyfriend to the set because he was home for Christmas. And uh, he did the lighting for the shuttle scene. And, you know, I feel like even the things that we were doing so well on Ghost Ship, like the lighting and the camera work and that sort of stuff, even, you know, the acting takes a big step forward because of Victoria and Avalon Lost, but also... The, the the camera work and the lighting and the set gags and all that kind of stuff takes a step forward too. So I feel mm. like she really really added to the value of the production by stepping up in the way that she did. 
what was your uh, your budget for it? Did you find that you could cut costs uh, having done Ghost Ship, or did you find that there was more things to pay for? So we had the costumes, you know, we had to get, we, we introduced a couple of new characters and so we had to outfit them, but that's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But, um, this one was significantly less expensive because we didn't go to Georgia at all. We, we, we filmed that all in Arkansas. Okay. Uh, we got creative with the Starbase and we got creative with the shuttle and Glenn Wolf and Dan Reynolds, uh, Warp 66 Studios, mm-hmm. those guys built a killer shuttlecraft. I mean, I was looking at it and going, this looks like it's right out of the Galio 7. I mean, and they wow. had a shot from the Galio 7 of the shuttlecraft side by side with their finished shuttlecraft. I was like, dude. And, and they're real proud of it, and they should be. And so we went and filmed on that shuttlecraft set, and it was fun. Hmm. I mean, we were able to, like, you know, when the shuttle starts having problems and stuff, we were able to, like, blink the panels on and off and have the lights going on and off and shaking the camera. And, you know, people are pretending to, you know, oh, no. And, and it's all that same cool stuff that you've always watched on Star Trek. Yeah, they're shaking the camera and then mm-hmm. you know, everyone's shaking in their seats. But it was like, this is so fun to do. <laughs> and um, and we had such a great time doing it. And, uh, yeah, it cost a lot less. I'll just put it to you that way. It was maybe uh, not even a fourth the cost of Ghost wow. Ship. Yeah, uh, that's good. So, are you uh, planning on going back to uh, um, to Georgia to film, or are you going to try? We to are. Future? Okay. Yeah, you know what we're going now. We're, you know, our hope with the next film, which we're calling Demons, mm-hmm. um, is to really expand the scope of it, to really make it a much bigger film. Um, and we've got some cool stuff in Arkansas. They've got a bridge uh, here that Glenn Wolf has put together with Dan Reynolds, but it's the, it's the phase two bridge mm. that, that you've seen in all episodes of phase two. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what James Colley has up there in, in New York now is a totally new bridge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I guess it was something about that. It was like an inch too short or two inches too short <laughs> or something weird <laughs> like that. And he was like, gotta have it more accurate so he scrapped his bridge and built a whole new bridge up there wow and he and glenn are, are huge buds and so that that old phase two bridge made its way down here and we're going to be filming on that and that gives you know, at least for the bridge gives us the ability to have more days you know we're not having to put people in hotels and all that stuff so we can shoot mm-hmm. three four days on the bridge and like really slow down our pace and up our quality, but but we do have to go back to Kingsland for a lot of other things like the the big corridors and the engineering and, and all of that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we self funded these first two films that we've made, and we're wanting to really expand with this this next one. So we're we're going to be going out to the fan and community and asking for help with a with crowdfunding campaign, and. Um, you know, I think the fact that we've, we've put out three 15-minute, you know, fan film segments thus far proves that we're kind of people of our word. Yeah. And that we get stuff done. And so, you know, I know that it it, it can be hard with, with, with crowdfunding for people to go like, okay, you know, well, because there have been – it's not been one. It's been kind of several fan films that people have given money to and then they've never seen the film appear. And so I understand people being hesitant, but it's like, 
that was part of why we did this is we, we were going here. We can prove to you that we're capable of doing what we say, that we keep our word, that we keep our deadlines, that we, you know, boom, here's, here's, here's the proof in the pudding. Now you can trust us mm-hmm. if you want to donate that you're going to see a fan film appear and you're going to see it appear quickly. You know, it's not going to be two or three years down the road. It's going to be like three months from now. It's going to materialize. Uh, so when when can we expect demons to be out? So our plan is that the crowdfunding will start next week on Wednesday. Oh wow! Um, we're planning to film in March, and we hope to have the film done sometime in May or early June. Wow, that's awesome. That's just that's kind of an estimate, but we're we're pretty confident that we can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a couple of follow-up questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who does the music for your films? So um, the the composer, some of it's composed and some of it's canned. And mm-hmm. the composer is a guy named Nicholas McFarland, who is actually so. There's the actress that plays uh, Commander Jamie Archer. Whose name is Tori Archer, which is why we, we went that route. Just, just give, give give the character the same last name. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, it's her uh, fiance. Oh, okay. So he came to the set uh, for Ghost Ship, and he played uh, one of the zombies. He's the first zombie to get killed in the film in Ghost Ship, and he's the composer. And he was also like a really great PA. Um, he he worked behind the scenes and in you know went and got everybody burgers at, at lunchtime and helped us move stuff around and was kind of an all-around great guy and drove her to the set you know they they had to travel separately because of her schedule and he drove drove her all night and and they showed up and rolled up ready to go that morning and and he she'd slept in the car and he'd driven her all night you know wow. so he's he's way cool uh gonna be a way cool husband to her you know <laughs> musician and just all-around nice guy mm-hmm. Because I was gonna uh, offer, um, if you needed uh, more music or whatever, uh, I'm a composer. Oh, cool! So just just putting it out there, but I don't want to tread on, you know, I don't want to to step on shoes. So I just I saw that you played the tuba. I do, I do play the tuba. <laughs> That's what I I do. I I teach uh, music lessons. I compose. Uh, nice. Yeah. So and then my my next question is, um, <clears throat> so now that you have. Uh, like the second episode out, uh, mm-hmm. how do you, how are you uh, justifying that with the guidelines? Not not that I'm complaining or anything. Um, I'm just wondering how you interpret the guideline with, you know, one um, one episode that can be two 15 part segments and nothing mm-hmm. more. I mean, I know like Vance. I work with Vance really closely on a lot of his stuff and my stuff. Right. Um, and I know he, you know, he's got tons of stuff. Um, uh, so I'm just wondering, what's your opinion on that? So, and Vance is the gold standard for that. You know, <laughs> he, he's developed, uh, he's got this Menard saga, mm-hmm. and then he's going to have the Constar Chronicles. Yeah. And um, he, 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 it's 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 all a kind of a branding thing. He presents it as every film is a new film. Mm-hmm. Um, every film has a unique title and follows the guidelines in that way and stays under the 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. My understanding of the guidelines is this, that, and, and I think we, we, we talked about this a little bit before you joined the conversation, but the intent 
from what I understand from CBS is not to just shut down fan films. Mm-hmm. You know, initially there was this sort of arms race between big players where again, if you've got, you know, half the cast of Star Trek Voyager in your fan film, or you've got, you know, <laughs> you know, Andrew Probert, Doug Drexler working behind the scenes, whatever, mm-hmm. you're not making a fan film anymore. You're making Star Trek. Yeah. You know, if Terry Farrell is in your fan film, you're making Star Trek. <laughs> and so I think that maybe their feeling was, and, and people tend to blame maybe one particular film or another. But I don't yeah. think it was any one film. I think that I think they're exactly right that there was just an arms race who could have the most, you know, stars in it or whoever. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that they just went, "This is getting out of hand. This is violating the spirit of a fan film." And so they initially made those guidelines to kind of put an end to all that. And they didn't want to shut down fan production. They just wanted to put it into that. And so what I've been told, just really taking the pulse of this and and getting around and talking to everybody involved, is that CBS doesn't really want to go around and police fan films, that it's a waste of their time, that um, they know that it's bad publicity, and that they just sort of – that there's some give room there that – I think every fan film that's been released since the guidelines have been issued have, have violated at least two of the guidelines, um, is what I understand. Hmm. In fact, when we when we initially put out Ghost Ship, we were told, you guys follow the guidelines closer than any other fan film ever has. But, so, there is some give room, like, you know, there are some fan films that are longer than 15 minutes, mm-hmm. or you have... You know, like what Vance has done, where he has a sort of a series that's not a series, or you look at like Potemkin does that, or mm-hmm. Dreadnought Dominion, they all sort of do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, or you look at like Antilus, where they have like, you know, a, a film that's an hour long. Um, I think it's a matter of there are some, there's some give room there. You can, you can maybe have you know, reoccurring characters in different fan films that are branded the right way to be kind of their own individual standalone stories. Um, just don't, you know, spend a million dollars on it and, and don't have, uh, you know, Jeffrey Combs be in it yeah. and you're probably okay. <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Like yeah. if you push the envelope too far, they're probably going to come down on you and be like, dude, yeah. But if you and, and from what I've heard, even when people have pushed the envelope a little too far, they've just given them a call and say, hey, could you just do this? Yeah. As long as you just do this, you're good. You know, like uh, Sam Cocking's good example. Yeah. He, he yeah. did his temporal anomaly and he had like some footage from like Star Trek First Contact yeah. or something beginning. And they just called him on the phone and said, look, dude, if you just if you take that out, no one cares. You're good to go. And so he made he made the adjustments that, that he needed to make and they left him alone. Same thing with, you know, like there's kind of there was kind of a thing going on with, you know, you got James Colley up in New York and he's he's got his officially licensed Trek Museum. And then you've got Ray Tessie in Georgia with his sets. Mm-hmm. And there were some some feeling that, oh, if he's got these sets down there, but they're not licensed. And, oh, my God, you know, it's a big deal. And CBS didn't care. They just called him up and said, look. We just need you to make a few adjustments, just tweak this, this, and that, and you're fine. We don't care. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like 
they're being really cool. They don't want to. They don't want to. You know, make us stop having a good time. They just want us to keep in the spirit of it being a fan film. Yeah. They just want it to be by fans for fans. They don't want it to be something that either looks like something that they would be doing or would compete with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're doing that, they they pretty much leave you alone. Yeah, I remember. I can't remember if it was James Colley's or if it was Vic Mignogna's. But uh, one of those two TOS fan film series is used to open with the NBC Peacock from 1966. Yeah, and, that was that was New Voyages. Yeah, and they got a call from CBS saying, "Hey, Jackass, that's NBC's <laughs> yeah. logo. CBS owns it now. Get rid of it." And they did. <laughs> I don't think CBS oh, yeah. actually said, ja-, but I think that was like, <laughs> "You can't put NBC's logo on our stuff, even if it's a fan film. Don't do that." And, and they and, made and the change. Notice on the next one was the CBS logo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I yeah, mean, uh, yeah. Mo- most 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 of the time, as long as the fan film people are willing to cooperate and make the changes, what need changing? They're, they're, I don't think there's a real issue. I think what it is is, and it, it's it's common with a lot of fan film makers. It's like uh, common with fans in general is this idea that Star Trek belongs to the fans. And then they start mm-hmm. trying to tell CBS what to do, and that's when you start getting into trouble. <laughs> exactly. They're let. They're being cool about letting us play in their sandbox, and they're being way cooler than they could be about it. Yeah. And and I'm very grateful for it. And you know, if they tell me to change something I'm doing, I'll I'll do what I need to do. It's no big deal. But um, as long as they let us kind of play in their sandbox, I'll subscribe to their all access and. Say that they're doing a good job. You know what I mean? It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too. Like, if you want to talk about fan films being big, Wars is where it's at. Like, if you guys looked at the Star Wars fan film stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And <sighs> and, and there's the story with the, the Darth Vader fan film. Like, mm-hmm. you couldn't even do that in Star Trek. You couldn't make a, you know, they're making a Darth Vader movie. And, and it got 9 million views. And Disney monetized the dude's fan film yeah. to them. <laughs> and, and, and I think George Lucas himself had to step in and be like, come on, Disney, let him have some fun, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, de- and demonetize. And, and, and they complied. They, they, they didn't, they, they let, let, they let it go and demonetize the guy's channel. But they had made so, a bunch of money before. Yeah. Before they did that. Yeah. Yeah. Before <clears throat> they did it. But you know, I, it uh... shows I excuse me. Oh, sorry. I remember when streaming services first came out, what <clears throat> many years ago, and everybody was like, "Oh, we've got video on demand with our cable service with thousands of programs," and so many of the programs were like total crap. There was one; it was a yeah. three-minute video on how to fold a fitted sheet for crying out loud. <laughs> and, but it was filler that let them say they had thousands of hours of content. And something I hope that CBS will do for all access at some point is say, uh, you know what, l- l- let's come up, l- let's just add our own quote-unquote crappy filler. Oh. And uh, yeah. they create a special segment in Star Trek for, like, best of fan films. That would be cool. And I would yeah. love to see, I mean, I haven't seen Avalon yet, but I would love to see Ghost Ship. I think it should be one of those featured fan films that are just stuffed in to be filler and yes cbs is going to monetize your film and you're not going to see anything and i'm cool with that but i think i mean just having the ability to say yeah my stuff is on cbs i think that would be pretty cool 
I would be okay with that too. I wouldn't care if CBS monetized my films to themselves as long as they let me do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I'm just trying to have a good time. And, and I, part of the, the, the point of the exercise is to practice the craft and become a better filmmaker. You know, that's the point, you know, if, if the end game for me is that someone sees the work and is like, you know, we'd like you to come direct this thing over here. That's really cool. That would be, I would get way more than I ever set out to get out of it, you know? And so I don't care who monetizes it. If they want to monetize it for themselves, that wouldn't bother me personally. But, you know, I'm just doing it to become a better storyteller and to, to, to do it in a way that I'm doing something that I really like doing. I've always wanted to figure out how to do a phaser beam. I've always wanted to figure out how to do a transporter beam. Um, I've always wanted to shake the camera and tell people to move around. You know, I've always <laughs> wanted to do that silly stuff. And so to be able to do those things, that's all I'm in it for. Well, shall we wrap things up? Yeah. Bill, Bill do you want to do a lightning round? Uh, no, no. I think with all of our delays and everything, we can skip the yeah. lightning round. Um, but <laughs> I figured I would ask you if you wanted to do a quick trivia question of the week. We'll just do the question and answer now. Instead okay. of having time to percolate it, because you usually have one, and I know you were gone for the beginning I, of it. Yeah. So Star Trek trivia. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what is the name of Leonard McCoy's daughter? Is it Jessica, Natira, Joanna, or Vina? Oh wow, that's a great one. I don't know the answer to that one. Um, I'm gonna. All right, did you say Leonard Nimoy? Uh, Leonard McCoy. Leonard McCoy. His daughter's name is Joanna. What do you think, Bill? I'm going with Joanna, too. I have no idea, but I'm trusting. He sounds so confident about that. I'm trusting him. Yeah, so you know your stuff. Uh, it is Joanna, and we find that out from the animated series, from the episode uh -huh. Survivor, the, the Survivor. Uh, so I was trying to be really tricky, but uh, I guess I couldn't stop, I thought, stump you. I thought at first you said Leonard Nimoy, and uh -huh. I was like, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I don't know what Leonard Nimoy's daughter's name is. I know his son's name, but uh, yeah. but if you're talking about McCoy, then yeah, I know that one. <laughs> that was sneaky. Yeah. I uh, usually have a follow-up, but I could not think of a follow-up uh, to that. Uh, mm. But good job. You got me. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess, Bill, take us away. All righty. That's all the time we have for today, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank our guest, Josh Irwin. Thank you. And uh, be sure to check out his films, Ghost Ship and Avalon Lost, and uh, coming this summer, Demons. That's right. Uh, definitely some good stuff worth checking out. Uh, like us on Facebook. Like and follow us on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube, the iTunes Store, and Google Play. Do we have a Twitter? Uh, no, we don't, because I'm too lazy about Twitter. Okay. Does Trexphere <clears throat> have a Twitter? Well, I, uh, yes, Trexphere does have a Twitter. Well, tell Trexphere like to Twitter us a little bit. So, <laughs> I, I think James Hams does. Okay. But I'd like to point out that we, we recently switched uh, Facebook pages from we had our own the final frontier podcast and now we've merged with the tricksphere uh fan page uh mm. it just makes things a little bit more efficient uh hopefully that that makes us do a little bit better getting this out to viewers because we are a a very small uh podcast small but fun we small try. but fun we try. we try when when i show up <laughs> 
So uh, I do apologize about yeah, that. Special thanks to Adam Mullen, who's having te- can't hear what you say. Is your audio still working? <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm. I I really thought it was you, Bill, because we've had problems yeah. before in the past, and man, I was so surprised. But I'm not surprised because I didn't check. I didn't do a, an audio check before. Uh, so yeah, my bad. Blame the guy in the red shirt. I see how it is. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, thank you, Adam. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. And I am Bill Allen, aka the guy in the red shirt, and this has been the final frontier. And don't worry, folks, I'll be back.